0: Welcome back to Unbroken Arrows. As always, I'm Catherine. And I'm Greg. And today we have Marty DeWitt. Marty is a local photographer and has been a park ranger in both Vermont and South Dakota.
1: And I met Marty at the Thursday Talk Series at Good Earth State Park, uh, just outside of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So welcome, Marty. Thank you for being our guest. Well, I'm happy to be here um question for you you have been a park ranger in both vermont and south dakota and uh you are retired now is that correct
2: yeah that's correct i retired back in uh well 2011 actually after about uh, 32 years with uh, the south dakota state park system and prior to that it was uh, i spent seven uh, seasons with the vermont state parks um, starting back in the 70s so Worn a lot of hats uh, in state park agencies over that forty-year span.
1: Oh sure, and um, what were the agencies that you were um, associated with here in South Dakota?
2: Well, I was with the Department of Game, Fish, and Parks, so in the Parks Division, the Parks and Recreation Division. That's the division that manages all the state parks, recreation areas, nature areas. uh, historic sites here in, in South Dakota. Now, pretty much a um, companion agency to what a lot of different states have, um, but their whole role is, their mission is outdoor recreation, whereas the game and fish part, uh, that's the wildlife hunting, fishing, and other outdoor activities. So as a state agency, um, you know, it, it encompasses a lot of outdoor recreation um, opportunities for the state.
1: Um, would you also take just a minute or two and... and... Uh, provide an overview for the presentation that uh, that you gave at Good Earth because one of the things that we try to um, focus on with our Unbroken Arrows podcast is is getting active in the outdoors and mm-hmm. that's what struck me when I when I attended your presentation was you know this is this is a, a possible way for someone who uh, would want to be outside outdoors and maybe not really have the desire to hunt but you know with the camera you are hunting I guess but could Mm -hmm. you just provide a quick overview of what your presentation was about
2: well I've you know over the years of course I've done many many different um, programs and workshops and presentations on outdoor photography but this one was a little different Uh, um Oh, probably over the last four or five years, I've kind of taken a little bit more of an introspective look on, you know, my photography and that of others. You know, I follow a lot of other photographers throughout, uh, you know, throughout the years for, you know, different inspirations. And, and so I, I often get asked the question, well, what kind of, what makes you tick? I mean, what do you, what are you thinking about when you're setting out to take a picture or to capture some images or whatever? And so I kind of, Uh, took a, took a little bit of a deep dive back into my thought process and my, and, and how I pre-visualize and how I kind of predict what I want to do. And, uh, and, and that ultimately ended up in a presentation to kind of give people uh, a sense of what goes through a photographer's mind as they approach whatever subject, it doesn't matter whether you're a a wedding or a, a portrait photographer, whether you're into sports action, whether you're a landscape and scenic photographer, or much like me, a wildlife and nature photographer, you have to have some some idea of what you're after. Uh, granted, many times it doesn't come to fruition, but you find something else along the way in the journey, and that's the beauty of there are some times where you set out with a specific goal in mind that you just have to be receptive to whatever presents itself. And, and recently, uh, just this last week, a number of us were up in Northern Minnesota at a uh, natural area, the Saxe-Zimbabwe, uh, Northwest of Duluth. And, uh, you know, our goal, our dream was to capture the great gray owl and, uh but as we scouted the area looking for the great gray owl, we encountered many other uh, different species the pine martens, the ermine, the red, uh, the uh, red poles, and I mean a variety of northern hawk owls. We, we made all sorts of other discoveries along the way. So even if you're focused on a particular goal, um, you need to be re- receptive to, to those teachable moments or those. Uh, opportunistic things and so that's that's kind of where my presentation was going to prepare yourself because we say there's a lot of luck in photography as in many outdoor activities there's a lot of luck involved but there's also a lot of things you can do to prepare uh, or to improve your luck so that's what the presentation was all about what what trips might trigger what 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 do I think about as I'm getting ready to whether it's night sky photography if i want to do light painting if i'm specifically setting in a blind looking for a specific species of wildlife if i'm just out looking for scenics or if i'm just strolling through a junkyard those uh, you know the old automobile junkyards are the best places for some of those art deco and really neat artsy fartsy kinds of design uh elements so I think you just open your, your perspective and be receptive to all those different subjects and, uh, and then you're ready. You'll, you'll score something. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty typical. You won't come away empty handed. It may think, not be what you set out for, but you'll come back with something good.
1: Right. I think we've actually had our first intersection with guests on our Unbroken Arrows podcast. Um, the bog that you visited, could you give me the name of that again?
2: It's Sax Zim Bog, S-A-X-Z-I-M
1: Bog. Right. We we interviewed a gentleman by the name of uh, Dave Endicott, and he and his wife have a parcel of land that they open up for people that— uh, have been affected by suicide in their family. Mm-hmm. Uh, a camping area and it's it's very close to that because he mentioned that as an area that that is renowned for birding in particular. Right. so right. so sorry for that segue there, but that was that's kind of cool no, that, that uh, we've had that, that intersection uh, and like I said, it's the first first one that I think we've we've had so
2: oh cool cool well I think you know that's bound to happen I mean those are I think when you and I visited before um, you know I mentioned how uh, in many ways uh, photography is a form of therapy for me you know if I used to be when I'd want you know after a busy weekend in the parks or whatever uh, there's really nothing better than just to sneak out into the woods and sit on a log with your camera and and just watch and wait and and it's just a good time to kind of recover and renew, and and um, you know I found that to be the case for many many years. And so some of these excursions that we uh, often take off on, whether it's just individually or with a small group from our club or just friends, uh, uh, we've got kind of a nice circle of uh, uh, folks that have like interests, and we learn from each other, and and uh, and we grow that way. So it's uh, it's it's been a fun journey, and. And um, there's plenty of places, you know, my wife and I have collectively visited, I think we're up to about 158 national parks and uh, national park facilities, basically your areas, you know, that's the recreation areas and the nature areas and historic sites and that kind of thing. But we're up, well, we're nearing, we're closing in on 160 around the country. So we've seen... Uh, a lot of this um, this great country, photographically, and and uh, I think there's like 360 more to go. So, so you've got a few yeah. more to go there. <laughs> we've got we've got a little job security there, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, I think Catherine would probably agree with you. Catherine is quite a uh, accomplished amateur photographer as well, so I think she would oh, probably agree that it's therapeutic. And
0: no, I love it. It's especially being able to like capture the moments after. And I, Greg had talked to me a little bit about what all you do. And from my understanding, you mostly just do, um, like nature, landscapes, things like that. Yeah. I, I,
2: you know, I, I used to think I was quite a generalist. Um, you know, I've done uh, I've shot weddings, I've, I've done the formal, uh, I've done senior portraits, I've done family, family portraits, I've done the sports in action, I've shot the rodeos at the Expo Center. I, I mean, I've, I've shot a lot of different subject matter, but um, oftentimes that's either doing it gratis for a local organization or just helping out with uh, different marketing and promotional kinds of things for folks. Um, you know I, I'm I, I don't consider myself a professional by any means you have to make a living at it to, to call yourself that uh, that's getting tough to do uh, in the photography world but uh, so I uh, I tend to give my images away I use them mostly for my workshops and my training and that type of thing and so I've had to be and since I teach the classes and uh, all the different brands of of cameras, you know, I have to be familiar with the different uh, subject matter and the different technologies. And uh, so it's, it's really helped me grow. I mean, I really feel that, uh, you know, I've become a pretty good resource for folks, um, you know, if they have issues or questions, and and it's been really helpful, you know, to build my base of knowledge, but I am kind of a generalist, but my true love is nature, wildlife, and scenics, that type of thing. Yeah.
1: We will probably come back to Uh, the photography club several times here during this interview, but you mentioned the different things that you have uh, photographed, like the rodeo and and things like that. Am I, uh, is it fair to say that in the photography club, that there are a variety of activities that the club um, shoots in terms of photography? Because, you know, not everybody's going to have the same interest per se in the, in the photos that they take.
2: Oh, absolutely, and I, I think this has been this has been an exciting year for the the camera club. The the, the Sioux Falls Camera Club, like I think, has been going since the '30s, and uh, so it's had a long-standing presence here in the community. But it's always been a pretty small, um, uh, a, a small, tight-knit group. Um, this last year, um, I decided that we we kind of spread our wings a little bit. And, uh, we suspended the annual dues. We just kind of made it free and y'all come and check us out kind of thing. And, uh, and as a result, uh, you know, the, the, the majority of our membership back in the day, were very much nature oriented kind of outdoor photographers. We had a few traditional, uh, film and black and white photographers in the group just to Uh, kind of rounded out but this last year we we had an interesting thing happen and our numbers have basically doubled the size of our group has has basically doubled in size and now we've got involvement with some younger folks uh, some college uh, folks have joined the ranks we've got some film photographers that are still shooting 35 millimeter film and and uh, then we've got some that's really are into the smartphone photography. And so we've had to kind of broaden our, our, our outreach. But we represent the whole spectrum of photographers and abilities. Uh, we've even got a gentleman in our club that shoots wet plate photography with the old 5x7 field cameras like the 1860s. And he even has some 1800s lenses that he's using currently to do black and white photography of country churches and things like that. So we've got a wide base of, uh, of experiences and, and abilities and that's the beauty of the club. You know, we're not professionals. We're, we're all about education. And so that's what our meeting structure is. We, uh, we meet first and third Tuesdays of each month from September through May and the first meeting is an educational program where we have guest photographers come in on a variety of subjects. The second meeting is what we call a share night, where we collectively sit there and we discuss new techniques and, and new gadgets, new software, and we offer criticism and critique um, of, of images to just kind of help us each grow. And then from June, July and August, we take our meet, we take off from our regular meeting schedule and we hold a variety of different on-site kind of photo tracks. In the past, we've done night sky uh, shoots. We've uh, set up uh, shoots with models and classic car um, enthusiasts. So we've learned a little bit of portrait and and close-up macro kinds of things. We've done miniature and toy photography. We've done um, we have uh, um, a member that's uh, uh, their group is into the uh, uh, the old classic uh, military aircraft and the small planes, and so we've done some uh, aerial shooting and and static shooting of old restored uh, warbirds, and so we've done it. we try to do a, we shot the Macrossens uh, barrel races, and you know for those folks that want to shoot eagles in flight or something like that there's no better way to train yourself than to try you got 8 seconds to get it right with a barrel <laughs> run so you know we try to we try to stretch people's horizons we try to broaden their you know, get them out of their comfort zone and let them experience some things and yet have um, a, a group of folks that they can you know rely on for input and uh, and guidance so that's really what our club is about we also have a competitive um, aspect to it where we compete on a regional basis with other camera clubs. Um, and so we try to, you know, really broaden the horizons. But the whole, the real substance of it is is education and to help us really improve um, our hobby, our
1: craft of photography. Okay. The, the I wrote this question thinking primarily about animals and maybe liking <clears throat> excuse me, likening photography to hunting, but as I listen to the different things that you've you've experienced either personally or in the club and, and teaching others, I I think that it may be a little bit my my thinking was too narrow. I, I used to teach biology and I taught a research class and, and one of the sayings that that comes up quite often is chance favors the prepared mind. And, (laughs) and the, and the question that I have is for you is what types of things do you need to prepare for based upon your photography subject? Like when I was thinking animals, you know, the different behaviors they have and they're active during different times of the day, but that probably goes with just about anything whether you're talking about rodeo or or if you're talking about uh the the warplanes you were talking about you'd have to to deal with sun angle because you're not going to get to move those right when, when right. you're trying to take those photos so what what types of things do you have to prepare ahead of time for well
2: you know with the with the analogy and the comparison to hunting i mean it's a perfect example You know, if you're going after a specific species, you really need to prepare and understand their habitat, their habits. Just like you said, what time of day are you likely, you know, you're not going to find a typical tree dwelling songbird out in the middle of the prairie. You know, it's just you need to understand where they're likely to be found, when they're likely to be active and uh, and set yourself in a position to where. You know, you're ready when that, uh, when that uh, presence occurs. But there's also the technical aspect. You know, just like you've got a, a certain set of or type of equipment that you need for a certain type of hunting or fishing or, or outdoor recreation, it's equipment-based. You have to have specific things for their tools. You have to have a specific tool for a specific job. And then you have to know how to run that tool and nowadays cameras are are highly sophisticated computers with lenses and so you have to have some familiarity with the different settings for the different lighting conditions you know what lens is going to give you a better chance of catching that songbird or that uh, that porcupine or whatever it is you're after um what lens is going to be the ideal one for that if you're doing wildflowers or lichens or mushrooms or butterflies or whatever. It's a different type of lens. So you have to understand your equipment. You have to have the correct tool for the job that you're doing. And then there's technique. Um, yeah, if you're shooting eagles in flight, like several years ago, we spent quite a bit of time down at the Lewis and Clark Dam photographing the bald eagles as they were fishing. Um And that's a a specific technique you have to develop, which is much like leading a pheasant as it bursts out of the prairie grass. And so there are very, very many similarities. You need to be familiar with the species you're after, have the tools you need to be ready for when it presents itself, and know how to operate those tools. And if you've got all of that in sync, well then, your chances of coming away with some keepers is is much better. Now, with the advent of um, what I think in some cases are extremes in photo editing capabilities, um, my you know I I always used to say that uh, um, the digital photography uh, tended to create a generation of lazy photographers. Because now you've got a computer doing everything for you and it's very easy to get, you know, uh, reliant on the automatic modes, that type of thing. But then that leads to some frustration and inconsistencies in your exposures and whatnot. So the sooner you get off of the automatic and start taking charge of what the camera is doing and start telling the camera what to do, then it starts performing for you rather than you taking just compromising and taking what the camera gives you so there is some technical ability that is involved at some point in time when you get serious about whatever subject
0: <laughs> sorry
2: i think That's... we're <laughs> i think we've been upstaged <laughs> <laughs>
0: you, 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 okay. Greg's one, pushing one, buttons
2: <laughs> oh boy, it's still there. Yeah, yeah. Craig's pushing I'm, buttons. Was, I'm I'm was that my to... signal that I went on too
1: long? <laughs>
0: no, <laughs> no,
1: no, not at all.
0: Craig's trying is, to mute himself is, so that he can cough.
1: Yeah, this is a 60, <laughs> 60 year old retired guy really messing things up. So now that well, it's a good thing it's not live. Well, now that you're, well, <laughs>
2: yeah. or oh, it'd probably be funnier. Than yeah,
1: maybe so. Now, now I can actually cough, so I'll clear my throat. <laughs> Because Catherine can now edit, edit that out. It might. It might talking make about out relying blooper, on the, technology. The blooper, yeah, the blue <laughs> yeah, reel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, funny. Okay. Good grief.
0: <laughs> um. So that being said, I've got a couple kind of questions about um what exactly you are using for equipment. But first things first. As a kind of more amateur photographer, I've got. One camera body. I've got a couple of lenses. What are, what would be like your go to camera for someone that's just wanting to get into it and kind of want something that they can use um, for nature, for sports, um, for the, they're going on vacation and want to be able to take pictures of it. What camera and lens would you suggest for someone like that?
2: Okay. The, um, well, of course, the, the, The camera industry has changed dramatically over the last couple of years. Um, The earlier, what we called the DSLRs, the digital single lens reflex cameras, those are the cameras that you could change the lenses on, but they had a reflex mirror that you were looking through. When you look through the viewfinder, you're looking through a series of mirrors and out through the lens. The new technology has now eliminated that and all the mechanical parts that went along with it. And so the bodies now have basically shrunk in size, they're more compact. The autofocus modes on them are so much more advanced and much more uh, efficient and effective and the the lens selections although they're very similar offerings in the lens selections there's uh, a broader range of zoom lenses now that are available so that you can do more things with a single lens than what we used to be able to do. We used to have to have a little kind of a different lens for everything we wanted to photograph. Well, now they've had zoom lenses for many years, but, um, they've really advanced their capabilities. So in answer to your question, as far as somebody starting out, um, you need to think about what it is that you want to photograph. Again, it's like a tool belt. And uh, there are certain starter cameras, entry-level cameras, that have basic zoom lenses that allow you to do a lot of different subjects pretty well. But if you want to get specifically into macro photography or sports photography, or portrait photography, or night sky, and you want to start specializing, then you need to add the tools that are designed to function specifically for those things. So a good starter um, mirrorless camera now would be um, a smaller crop sensor camera with maybe either a, a zoom lens that gives you like an 18 millimeter wide angle capability up to maybe 150 to 200 millimeter to give you a little telephoto to bring those distant objects closer it's a nice one lens setup with a small camera Um, you're talking in that could be in that 800 to 1200 range probably Um, canon's got a nice full line i'm i'm kind of a canon loyalist i've been shooting uh, Canon products for, well, pretty much over 50 years now. But I'm also familiar, I spent about a dozen years shooting the Nikon platform. Um, Sony has some excellent cameras as well. Uh, so you really need to kind of look over the different offerings. YouTube is your friend. There are a lot of folks out there in YouTube land that will give you reviews and tutorials on the different cameras for specific types of shooting and uh, they can help kind of guide your purchase. Um, So there's uh you know, the, the online, uh, the online business has really done a number on the local, uh, the local camera store, unfortunately, and this is nationwide, not just locally, but certainly locally. Um, at herald's we're still available uh we're no longer a nikon dealer but we deal in sony and canon Um, but we have folks on staff that are nikon shooters and have that experience and that expertise and are more than happy to sit down and visit and help you kind of make those choices and decisions we also like i mentioned before we teach classes for all the models and uh and, and I don't care if somebody's found a film camera that they bought on eBay and they want to get into film photography. I'm more than happy to, to sit down and, and, uh, and show them the ropes on that as well. So there's a lot of offerings out there. You got to do your due diligence. And, uh, you know, again, the first question is, what do you want to shoot? And then let that guide the, the equipment choice. But the important thing is, you don't have to have the best and most expensive uh, camera gear to get the best pictures. The true artist is the one behind the camera, not the camera. Technology definitely helps, but it's first and foremost the photographer. So, get yourself as knowledgeable as you can, and um, and then let that guide your 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 equipment selection that helpful is that kind of what you were looking for
0: yeah no that is a great answer that being said what is your you said you're kind of a canon guy what's your Mm go-to equipment
2: well currently um i've still got a kind of got a foot in both ponds here because um i still have a 5d mark IV, which is a SLR, a mirrored camera. And uh, I had a pretty wide selection of lenses specifically for that uh, type of camera. When I made the jump to the mirrorless cameras, uh, Canon, Sony, and Nikon all offer an adapter that allows you to use previous lenses on the new mirrorless lens mount at the different lens mount, So Um, I'm still using a number of my older lenses with my new mirrorless cameras. So uh, right now, I'm currently shooting the R7 and the R6 Mark II. Now, the R7 has the smaller crop sensor. So I use that primarily for my wildlife photography uh, because with my long telephoto lens, like my 100 to 500 millimeter lens, which is what I use for my birds and wildlife. The smaller crop sensor gives me a little more magnification, makes it a little more powerful, a little more far reaching. My R6 II is a full frame, so it's got the larger sensor. So it doesn't give that magnification factor, but it's, it's got much better uh, data collecting and light collecting for like my night sky and for my scenics and landscapes and for whenever I do any portraits or or people photography um, and oftentimes event photography I might use that one instead now some of the new mirrorless cameras because that mirror always had to get up out of the way before your camera would take the picture and it slowed the cameras down well the new mirrorless cameras they can shoot, well, my R7 can shoot up to 30 frames a second. My R6 can shoot up to 40 frames a second. A typical video is like 24 frames a second. So you're now able to shoot full resolution images faster than a video capture. So it's opened up a whole new uh, whole new realm for us for sports and action and birds in flight and that type of thing. Um, so I, you know, I've I've stayed with the Canon system. Uh, Nikon makes their Z series. Um, Sony's got their A series, the A7 in different models, the A uh, the A9. So there's a lot of choices out there. They all do pretty much the same thing. They all do it really well. Just in many cases, they do it differently. Buttons are different. Dials are different. They call things. By different terms, but they all do the same thing. So that's the important thing about getting to learn your camera once you make the decision, uh, because you need to be re- able to react quickly. And uh, and I'm still learning all the time. I mean, I just learned something new the other day when I when with my camera that I like, didn't understand why it was doing something, and uh, so a deep dive into the menus. Uh, it's a lot of self self-learning and learning by doing
0: yeah and I mean even like I said I'm kind of an amateur I've got one camera body I'm always confused as to what's going on why it's doing what it's doing Mm -hmm. Um, and then like you said YouTube I learned a couple of different settings in my camera that I had no idea were even there And it's really helped me and changed um, how I take the pictures and what Mm -hmm. I can do with them after I take the picture. But you had said that you're kind of on the edge about editing the photos after because of how much technology there is. But what do you do for editing? Do you have a specific software that you use or do you try to use your camera settings as much as possible so you don't have to do anything?
2: Well, I've... Oh, and I catch a lot of flack from my buddies on this because, um, many of my friends in the club, um, are, are very, very proficient at, uh, at editing with, uh, Lightroom and Photoshop and that type of thing. Uh, I, you know, I'm somewhat of a dinosaur and they're trying their best to, to, uh, to, uh, teach me and to, to, to drag me in kicking and screaming. I do very little editing, um, my as a teacher i'm always suggesting or striving to get folks to uh, capture it as best they can in the camera so they don't have to edit it now i'm not naive enough to know that that's you know that maybe is a little unreasonable because editing has been something has been a part of photography since the very beginning you know um you think of the Civil War photographer Matthew Brady. You know he uh, he had people in pictures where they never were because of the darkroom magic. Ansel Adams, he uh, he worked magic in his darkroom in, in editing and changing and adjusting and tweaking those iconic black and white shots of of Yosemite and and, and his other you know very very popular award winning images. They weren't straight out of the camera there's also editing has always been a part of it and I do very minor editing I you know I typically may do a little sharpening may do a little color saturation certainly I'm going to do some cropping in the frame for better composition but I try to in my pre-visualizing I try to uh, predict that in the beginning so that I don't need to do as much work but now with the the thing that concerns me about um, photo editing is the over editing that takes place things like hdr the high dynamic range you see some of these pictures where you know there was the sun was bright over the mountains and the mountains were the shadow and the lake in the foreground were you know all a mixed of exposures but they all now are perfectly exposed and they almost look artificial um so editing my philosophy on editing is it's great uh, many shots are improved by it but if it looks like it's been edited you've done too much and so it needs to be done discreetly. Um I tell you there's a a scary thing on the forefront this whole thing with our art, artificial intelligence this AI is making inroads into photography now and uh, it's got quite a few people concerned about what the future holds and, and what images are now going to be suspect, you know, award-winning images and contests. Now what percentage of them are artificially generated as opposed to an actual uh, shot that was taken on scene. So um, I think there's, there's going to be some challenges ahead and, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not oblivious to the benefits of editing, but I think, folks need to be upfront and and uh, you know if it's art that's one thing if it's art and you're creating art and that's part of photography but in those cases where you're documenting species and habitats and habits and and those types of things um, I, I think uh, you need to kind of do a little soul-searching as to what extent you want to go you know putting the animals where they don't belong and taking out trees that you don't like or you know, those types of things. So I've got a kind of a, an old school kind of dinosaur's view of some of that, but, uh, but I'm not oblivious to the fact that, uh, it's a necessary part of our craft and, and some people do it very well. And, uh, and that's, that's the, that's, that's the artist in us that uh, chooses the path.
1: For a period of time while I was in the classroom, I taught astronomy. And I actually was a, I had a planetarium at my disposal, so I was a planetarium director as well. Oh, wow. and, and through that, I did get into astrophotography. And one of the questions that I have for you, this has been 20-plus, maybe closer to 25 years ago. But um, it, we used film and... We used manual cameras where you can control the aperture, you can control the shutter speed, and then you also had the little attachment that you could, uh, a little cable that you could um, open the shutter and leave it open. The,
2: the remote,
1: yeah. The, and, the, uh, the bald
2: exposure, yeah.
1: Correct. And so, so that really wasn't, Tough to learn, but do the new cameras that are so digital do they have those capabilities? I mean, taking a star trail uh, photo or maybe something that because we used a, um, I had a Celestron eight inch telescope at my disposal, and we had we had Mm -hmm. the attachments for that. So as long as everything was set up on the ecliptic and you had your uh, motorized uh, mount. Uh, synced Uh, you could get maybe a a picture of a deep space object like a a galaxy or Mm -hmm. or a nebula but uh, can you do those types of things with with the more computerized cameras now
2: oh absolutely pardon the pun but the sky's the limit (laughs) it's it's, uh no it is it is really uh, it's amazing the new technology Uh, That's available now with, uh, with my mirrorless cameras, there's some very basic improvements that, um, you know, you talk about having to uh, hold the, with the remote control that had the little button with the little lock on it that you can lock your shutter. Well, now the new cameras, they, they have a wide range of shutter. You can do up to 30 second exposures and automatically expose for the light um you can do longer bulb exposures as well like you're talking about with a remote you can run them by your phone i mean everything's wireless and bluetooth now so you can set your camera out on the on the the patio on a tripod do like you're saying do your polar alignment and all that stuff if you've got a i mean there's tripod mounted tracking devices now that you can just set your camera on polar align them go back inside where it's warm and control it with your phone um you can uh, like my camera has a built-in intervalometer timer so if i'm just doing um, milky way shots and i want to do a series of 20 second exposures or whatever and doing uh rather than doing deep sky, I can program the camera to take a 20 second exposure every 25 seconds, you know, so it'll it'll just keep going and then I can go back and sit in the car, you know, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, it's become very, very easy now focusing. If you, I'm going to guess if you've tried focusing with an older camera and an older lens, you know, infinity is not a defined thing on the lens. You can turn it to infinity, but then there's some wiggle room as to what, right is going to give those stars sharp pinpoint focus well now the my canon r6 well both of them but my canons have focus peaking and they have a focus assist so if you're in manual focus you can tell it to identify the area that's in focus in a specific color and i've got mine set to red so as i orient the 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 lens where i want to photograph maybe on the milky way or on you know jupiter or whatever Um, then i go and turn the lens and manually focus and as soon as that star is in pinpoint focus it'll pop and turn red on the screen so there's no question there's no worrying about we used to have to take test shots and find where that star was the sharpest. And then you'd put a piece of tape on the lens so it wouldn't get jostled. Um, all that's all that's gone now. But they make little pocket-sized star trackers now that you can mount on your tripod and set your camera on that will give you that equatorial tracking that um, you were talking about with your telescope. Um, we've got folks in the club that are doing some really intensive deep sky nebula Uh, galaxy type of photography uh, in digital and they have taken it to uh, very much the technical extreme where they're shooting hundreds and hundreds of frames and then stacking them all together in software that limits the noise or the the interference the murkiness and the in the darks and the blacks and makes them nice and clean and and different color filters and different types of approaches. I, I haven't gotten anywhere near that end of the spectrum. I'm, again, I'm kind of a lazy opportunistic photographer, but, um, you know, I've done a lot of sequences of Milky Way shots, like in the Badlands or over different formations, like out at Palisades, where I've actually done some light painting. And uh, basically during the long exposure, when I'm trying to to record the Milky Way core, I'm also taking and selectively popping some light into the scene in the foreground to illuminate some, like the Badlands formations or the King and Queen Rock at Palisades as an example, just to give it a little bit more of an artistic thing. It's very simple to do and, and fun, quite frankly, it's fun. Cool. And, uh,
1: one of the Go things that, that I've noticed um, with working with uh, my students in that was, of course, the anticipation that was all on film. So we would take the pictures and then you know wait for it wait. to be developed and then come <laughs> yeah. back. But um, the color that's actually in the night sky, and you don't you don't get that unless you have some of those longer exposures. You know, particularly Correct. the reds uh, are so. so prevalent
2: uh well and we're so we're so affected by light pollution as well too Um, and we're fortunate out here where we don't have to travel too far to get to a relatively dark sky Um, but you know if you try to do something like that around um, a community or whatever there's a lot of light pollution that really obscures some of that um, star detail, and but a place like the Badlands, or um, well, even as far over west as Freeman, that area gets uh, as very dark sky out there in the rural part of the state. Um, you can see a lot more detail, and the camera will pick up much more detail than what the eye typically sees.
1: Exactly, and, uh, mm-hmm.
2: and that's that's kind of a that's kind of an eye opener, to to folks to see. Now, once they see how easy it is to do, and then seeing the results, I I do a couple night sky workshops over at Pipestone Monument each year. I think we've got one coming up in May, and then we do one in September, where we actually go out and uh, and do some night sky stuff there, and uh, do some light painting at the Winnebousie Falls, so, and it's a fun time just to you know <laughs> to see folks go, aha, I get it now, but. Uh, it's pretty, it's relatively easy to do without a lot of uh, specialized equipment. But uh, if you want to take it to the extreme, the telescopes, uh, uh, the technology is there to do some beautiful, beautiful things.
1: Right. The You mentioned earlier your, your wife and you have traveled extensively to the different national parks and throughout the country. And that's one of the things I think that I would emphasize is in my travels um, since... Uh, My wife passed away in uh, November of 19. I've traveled a lot, uh, particularly uh, from Nebraska west uh, through New Mexico. Uh, I've driven from San Diego to uh, north of Seattle to Oak Harbor, Washington. And I've made that trip, I think, now four times. And I've gone through the Rocky Mountains and... um, so I've seen a lot of the country and the and the world is our country is vast there and there are a lot mm-hmm. of different opportunities there for um, someone to to photograph and and um, but the other thing that uh, I, I wanted to mention with regard to that was that we had a guest a couple of weeks ago that talked about Uh, When they hunt, they would put descriptive things on, on the, their, um, when they would freeze uh, the, the game that they harvested, more descriptive things about the day and, and maybe the weather and maybe something. And then when they would take that out to prepare it, it became a reflection of that moment in time. And that's what photography does. You know, it's a, it's a moment in time that that you can go back to uh, you can um, relive and and enjoy again. So I think more than anything else and, and I think you would agree that that would be one of those things that that could get people interested in photography as well. And our podcast is called Healing Through the Hunt. And you mentioned this earlier when we talked out at Good Earth, but you know how in your in your mind, how can photography be a healing hobby?
2: Well, I think anything that gets you um, well. I think anything that gets you away from what is concerning you in the moment. I mean, if your if if your job is stressful or very demanding. Um, family dynamics, all those types of things, uh, you know, that's just, that's life. And, and we have to deal with those things, but it's always nice to have a, I think, a, a little bit of a respite at a time or two where you can just sneak away to do something that's creative, um, that kind of exercises the other parts of your brain that, uh, uh, that aren't being overworked. And uh, and just to breathe in some fresh air and get some sunshine and just be be alone with your thoughts um, is I mean, I find that very enjoyable. You know, I'll I'll be doing a workshop out in the Black Hills. And I always tend to add a day at the front and a day at the back just to, you know, go hang out somewhere. As I've got a couple of favorite places in Custer State Park where I'll just string up my hammock and I'll just Swing there in the wind for a while and maybe read a book or something like that, or, or just watch what's going on and just kind of shed the, shed the stress of the moment. And, and, uh, you know, it's different for everybody, but I think that's, that's, I found, uh, to be, uh, very helpful. And, and, and even in small groups, I mean, I find that with, if I travel and uh, a buddy and I just on a whim decide to go down and, see if there's eagles at the dam or something like that. We'll make a half a day trip out of it. It's a nice time to visit and connect. Um, those are just fun times away. from. They're a diversion from uh, the obligations that we have. So it kind of renews you. Um, and, and I think that's important, no matter what you do. Um it's just an important time. You know, music does the same thing for me too, that, uh, if, uh, if I need to, I just sneak into the den and grab my guitar and, and, uh, pick and grin a little bit. And so I think we all need to find something like that, that we could add to our lives and just make things a little easier.
1: Very, very true word spoken. Um, I can't let you get away without uh, being able to, to advertise a little bit. If, how, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? If they want to learn more about the, the Sioux Falls Photography Club, uh, what ways can people reach out to you?
2: Well, um, if they've got questions about, you know, cameras or making the right choices or some guidance in that respect, um, they can stop by. I'm typically at Herald's uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoons uh, in Sioux Falls, um, and I can be reached at the Herald's Photo Center. It's on West 41st Street. Um, if somebody wants to record a number, it's 605-336-0879, or I can be reached at Marty D, M A R T Y D, at heraldsphoto.com. Um, and I'm more than happy to help and provide any kind of guidance and uh, instruction or that type of thing. If somebody's interested in the Sioux Falls Camera Club, I would invite them to check out our Facebook page and just uh, do a Facebook search for Sioux Falls Camera Club. Uh, It is a private group uh, I happen to be the administrator. So all they have to do is ask to join and answer a couple questions about their interest in photography and we'll let them in and they can kind of tag along and see what the club is up to and, and, um, and enjoy and learn from a lot of the postings that our members do with their images from trips that they've taken or new techniques, uh, new equipment that they're trying out. So Facebook, uh, I know they say Facebook is for old folks now, but uh, it has been a very good communication source for our club. We also have a website. Uh, Again, just Google Sioux Falls Camera Club. So it's SiouxFallsCameraClub.com. And on our website, it talks about our meeting schedule and it highlights uh, some of the activities and things that we've got planned. um, To join the camera club, uh, it's just a $25 per year per person, or if it's a couple or a family, it'd be $35 per year. And uh, there's uh, information on how to uh, submit your dues and get signed up on the uh, on the website. Uh, it's a it's a fun bunch of people. It uh, you know we have a couple social banquets every year every year in May and December where we have an in club competition just to you know test our mettle. and and uh, we, we give some fun prizes, but it's a nice social uh, social group. And, uh, and again, the focus on the club is to to help folks learn more about photography and improve their skills and uh, and network with others of like minds. And uh, a lot of friendships have sprouted out of that club. Matter of fact, there's one fellow and I that, have been active with the club since the, uh, the early 80s. I guess we're the sage veterans at this point in time, but but uh, we're hoping to, uh, to see a, a new crop of folks come in and continue that tradition.
1: Well, thank you, Barty. We do appreciate the time, and uh, we hope to, to cross paths again.
2: Well, my pleasure. And please, you know, anytime you need anything else or interested in anything else, uh, just give me a shout. You know how to find me.
0: Yeah, thank you for sitting down and talking with us.
1: Absolutely. You're very
2: welcome. My pleasure.
1: Well, um, as we sign off for this particular episode, uh, we do want to remind our listeners that uh, if you're in crisis or if you know someone in crisis, uh, please dial 988 which is the national suicide and crisis lifeline and we want to remind you that the world is a better place with you in it and please don't forget that so to all of our listeners take some time to get outside get outdoors and experience its healing powers and with that on behalf of Catherine and me until next time